You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. It's episode 230 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and I'm so happy you clicked on the episode to listen to my podcast. We're brought to you today by GameMat.eu for pre-painted terrain, neoprene mats, STL files, MDF buildings, all sorts of stuff. It is Event 10 for 10% off your order. And we've got Panhandle3D.com down in the Panhandle of the USA. And they do 3D printed terrain, which I've bought. Oh man, I bought so much 3D printed terrain from them. And also engraved uh, tumblers and dice trays and all sorts of stuff. They've, they've got a ton of stuff, so go check them out. And it's Podcast 10 for 10% off your order there, and I believe it's free shipping over $80, I believe, is the threshold in the U.S., so you should definitely jump on that. We are also brought to you today, the people that keep the lights on, for crying out loud, you need to give them a shout-out once in a while. It's the Patreon patrons. That's an air horn in case you didn't know. <laughs> and uh, they also support the show. And man, I love you all, okay? Big sloppy wet kisses remotely to all of you. We're going to have our Zoom call, our monthly Zoom call, here in a couple days. And our monthly Zoom call is when I give you the big, I just make out with the webcam. I just make out with it. And most people endure it. Uh, Grendel gets angry, he clicks out of it. Um, but some some people are there for the <laughs> there for the show. Anyway, enough of that. You don't want to hear about that. What are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about the curious, bottomless Rogaldorn. And why does he not have any pants on? Why does he not have any bottom panel? And this, I may not take the, the stance that you think I'm going to take on this, but that's what we discussed in the Real Talk. We also have a very, very nice Tesseract mailbox from Kojo, who I spent the weekend with with a bunch of buddies last weekend. And he writes in and uh, just tells me how great I am. It's, it's like awesome. And then also, we've got our boy Angron in the Want That or Want That Not. And I know a lot of you are excited about the Angron. So what am I thinking about it? That's what we discuss in that segment. So what have I been up to? Well, I promise you, I really, really promise you that this is the last time I'm going to say this. But I ordered my final edit copy of Brutal Space. Yes, it's my seventh final copy. Yes, I ordered my final final copy before my last final copy has even arrived. Yes, this is all true. Correct. <laughs> but but by the time that I've ordered my final final copy, then my last final copy is now out of date because I fixed things and changed things. So it's it. Oh, man, I have I have bought. Yeah, seven copies of this. Um, Some of the behind the scenes things for doing br brutal space is that I'm trying to get these sold in stores as well. Um, only friendly local game stores. I'm not trying for Barnes & Noble or anything, which I wouldn't get in there anyway, because they've got their own terms and conditions that are way more than I can do. And they also don't deal with um, print-on-demand stuff. They don't deal with that. So I would have to get a distributor, and they would have to buy like thousands of copies and then try to get it in stores. And really, that is not my target demographic anyway. I'm not selling it on Amazon. I'm trying to support local stores. And see, this is how you get products from someone who has a true passion for what they do and they want to support the community and it's not all about money because obviously I make a lot more money off these books if I if they if I sell them directly. I have to take a huge, huge deduction in order to sell them into stores. But because of course a store has to make 40%, 50% markup on it. You know, that's what most stores get. So 
and that includes shipping and all that. So I have to make a lot less per book, but I'm trying to grow a community. I'm trying to support local stores. I'm trying to grow a community and local stores will be able to buy it for me directly at obviously a wholesale cost. And, um, and I'm hoping to further spread the word of brutality and brutal space. So the issue with that is that I cannot, the premium quality, premium print quality is going to be sold on my website. That'd be a slightly higher price, but it is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, everybody that I've shown this book, they go, wow, like it's beautiful. The colors are absolutely stunning. The minor inconvenience of premium print is that the cost of it is so darn high that there's no way a store would have any markup on it. So I have to, I'm going to be selling standard print quality to stores, which is still fine, um, especially now that I've changed the pictures and, and updated them and included the, in, increased the brightness and contrast and all that to offset the, the standard quality. Um, I'm, I'm waiting on that last copy now before I offer them to stores just to make sure it came out okay. But um, so you're going to be able to get the standard quality for a little cheaper at stores or premium quality from my website. And of course that um, you also have to pay shipping on that as well. So um, that's what we're doing. And like I said, I'm trying to um, trying to get these in stores and build communities because so far I've only sold them directly through my website or actually it's through the publisher, but my website has the link and I have been relying on people to see it through the, oh gosh, nearly dozen reviews we've had on YouTube and things like that. The articles, uh, Leroy Jenkins wrote some articles about brutality on spiky bits. And um, I've been relying on people to find it on their own and then try to convince their friends to play it. The local stores, of course, could not sell it. I've had many ask me if they could sell it. And at the time I said no, because I had no option. I didn't I didn't have that as an option to sell it for stores. But I'm slowly trying to figure out. And that's been, boy, that has been a real trip trying to figure out, OK, well, do I go through a distributor? This is how much they take of a cut. And this is what they need. They need 100 copies or whatever. And, you know, then I'm going to be I mean, you end up making pennies on a book when you go that route. Sure, you may sell 100,000 books. haha. But you're making like basically nothing on it. And um, obviously I've got hundreds of dollars just in the the images and the um, the copies I've bought and all of that. I mean, so I've got a lot of overhead to to pay for. Um, but this I'm just saying corporations, the ones that are all about money, which is every corporation, they would not ever go the route that I'm going for. Oh, I, I want to support the communities. I want to support this. And I want to only support friendly local gaming stores and all of that because of the love of the hobby and the passion for what I have made and what I want people to enjoy. So I'm not trying to brag. I'm just telling you this is the difference. If you if you support smaller creators, whether they be artists or musicians or game designers or literally anybody, your mom and pop store, the, the grocery store down the street, um, that is literally a mom and pop store not like a, you know, super fresh or something. Um, if you, if you support all of these people, they have way more passion in what they do. Even if it's giving you the best produce or whatever, they have way more passion and care way more about their product than the corporations do, which kind of ties into the whole Rogel Dorn fiasco. And I'm, I'm using that term loosely, but the point is, is that, um, I'm going to be selling it direct to stores via, um, they have to email me to get copies of it. And I've, I've got ways to get it to them at that, um, special wholesale price. And, uh, then I'm going to be selling it as normal on the website. I've also had to update the tokens. Um, so now my token set is, a, is, a 
It's about one third all new stuff because I had to update it, include tokens for brutal space as well, because not all the effects work like bleeding is similar to chain reaction, but obviously chain reaction on a ship would not use a bleeding token. And if I do bleeding, I can't use a chain react. So I had to make different tokens for that stuff. And um, I had to update the character cards. One side is brutal space. Now one side is normal brutality. And I'm going to start merging these two games together so that it really is. I'm calling it the brutal family of games. And it's true. I'm, I'm hoping to have a, a whole family of games where you can go from one to the other to the other. And hey, it's all good. Like it all plays similar. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that. So that is what has been taking up all my time. I'm not editing so much. I did continue editing all that. But um, I really have wiped my hands finally with the Brutal Space book. Um, I am not looking through it anymore for edits. I'm sure there's a typo here or there somewhere. But I've read this freaking book so many times. And my friend Matt has read it twice. I'm just, I'm done. Like, I'm totally done with... Uh, trying to edit this anymore i think we've got 99 percent of everything out of it and that really is my um my litmus test if you know the first time you review it you find probably two dozen issues you read it the second time and you find maybe 15 issues then the third time you read it then now you might find seven issues and it's like it's not quite half every time but it, it reduces and now it's to the point where i'm really nitpicking stuff it's not anything that's wrong not like typos or whatever, although it's, it's possible one is still in there. But now it's like, well, you know, I could say this so much clearer if I said it this way. And I'm, I'm just clarifying things. So that is what I've been up to. I played a game at the club this week of Warhammer 40k. Um, I can't even remember who I... Oh, oh, I played... I teamed up with the 10-year-old. The 10-year-old played, played his Space Marines. And uh, I really should use their names, but I mean... You know, you guys, at least I can give you context. If I say Adam, you don't know who Adam is in my gaming group. But if I say the 10 year old, you're like, oh, he's, he's playing with one of the kids. OK, I get that. So I play, I teamed up with a 10 year old. He brought Space Marines. I brought Necrons versus uh, one of our game members, Elijah and the 14 year old. And the 14 year old brought his towel and Elijah brought his, I don't know, oh, Tyranids. He brought Tyranids. So it was Necrons and Space Marines versus Tau and Tyranids. And we just played a simple game. The kids still are not using stratagems other than the, the core rulebook stratagems. Uh, they're still not using chapters or anything like that. So, um, and we played perfectly fun games. Uh, what we did this week is we put four objectives down and each objective would score one victory point in your command phase. But if, um, but if you captured the objective that you were supposed to, so I had one that, that had a Necron symbol, uh, Tau had a Tau symbol, Space Marine had a Space Marine symbol, and then Tyranids also had a Tyranid symbol on one of them. There's four objectives. Anybody could capture them for one point, but if the right army captured it, then it was three points, which is a huge deal. And um, so that was pretty fun. And then the uh, your own objective that you wanted to capture not only was uh, in the dead center of the board, but then they they moved back towards the enemy six inches. So their preferred objectives were six inches towards us and ours were six inches towards them. So it made us have to mingle and have to get across the board, which was a lot of fun. And um, we ended up winning uh, five, five to three or something like that. And um, the Space Marine player. Now, I think if the kids didn't have to leave early, because they always have to leave at like 730. And uh, we usually play till nine. So if we would have continued playing... They were slowly chewing us down, and I think they probably, the, the uh, Tyranids and Tau would probably have won at the end of the game. 
But where it stood at that point, we had control of all the objectives and they really didn't hardly have any. Then I actually got a second game in this week. Um, I've been so darn busy with Brutal Space. I've not been having James over um, to play Warhammer at all this winter. And we normally play like once a week in the winter. And because it's our off season and we have more time. But I've been so darn busy every single day and night working on Brutal Space to get this done that uh, this was the first time I've had him over. And I decided to play my all Grot army, Grot tanks and Killicans. And I did have the uh, Blitza Bomber, which always does jack all on a game. He, he never does anything. And he played his Thousand Sons and he brought Magnus. Now we did play pick two where you um, like, let's say if we play a let's say a thousand point game then each of us bring three 500-point lists, and the opponent chooses the one list they don't want to play, and the other two make up your list, right? I love that. It's super... It adds some balance to it, and um, in one detachment, he had Magnus. The other detachment, he had um, 10 Rubric Terminators, which I hate. I hate those things, because you bring them back, and the heal and all. I hate them so much. So he's like, hey, which one are you going to pick? Magnus or the Terminators? So it did make me feel a little better that I'm like, you know, I never play against Magnus. I will actually choose Magnus over those Terminators. And um, so that's what I did. And that did give make me feel a little less salty because I had some say, you know. And um, anyway, that you can imagine how all Grotz versus Thousand Sons went. You can guess how that ended up. Yeah, I won. I actually won pretty badly. I, I, I beat him, uh, I think, 40 to 17. 50. It was 50. 50 to 17, I beat James with the Grotz, which is, like, pretty outrageous if you think about it. Now, I didn't have many Grotz. Uh, one of the Grot lists I brought with a bunch of Grotz, he discarded. That was the list he didn't want to play against. So I only had one group of Grotz, but I had a bunch of... Um, uh, mech guns i had a bunch of um grot tanks and i have all that and shockingly not only did i beat him severely with with a spot army i didn't have a single orc not no orcs no knobs no bikers nothing um not only did i beat him with that like pretty severely but also in the last turn the blitz bomber not only did it survive with one hit point because at one point uh, we were playing like the maelstrom cards or whatever and um, where each turn you pick a different secondary, et cetera, et cetera. And um, one of them, he was trying to kill my my most hit point model, which was the flyer. So he was smiting it. He even assaulted it. He tried to kill it and got it down to one hit point. At that same turn, Magnus, I got down to one hit point. So his um, my Blitza Bomber actually did the final wound on Magnus, which was poetic justice because the Blitz Bomber has never does anything. And matter of fact, I didn't think about it. I should really give it battle honors. I'm going to give it some sort of symbol on its tail or something um, to signify that it actually shot down Magnus because that was pretty epic. So I was shocked. I was truly shocked. And I also found out that Grot tanks are actually pretty decent in this edition because they've got toughness five, three up save, which is not bad, right? They get ramshackle, which is nice. They reduce damage if um, it's not strength eight or higher. And they're multi-models. So instead of bringing a Stompa or something where all your damage goes straight through them, if you hit me with a 10 damage railgun or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You kill one Grot Tank. So in this edition, actually, Grot Tanks are in a pretty good place. They've got quite a bit of um, uh, combat efficiency. They shoot a lot. And I mean a lot with Ballistic Skill 4. And then they're also multi-wound, high toughness, high save, but also multi in a unit models 
So they're actually in a really good spot, and I was surprised at how well they performed. And that brings me to the very last thing I have to say today, okay? I'm actually pretty excited that I was at the library with my kids. They were at some event, and um, we homeschool, so they're at a homeschool event, and they were excited about it. I was talking to one of the librarians. The librarian's like, hey, you run Shorehammer, right? And I'm like, yeah, how did you know that? And he's like, oh, word gets around. I'm like, oh, okay. And he said, um, there was a mom that asked him if there's any groups that play Warhammer in the area. And I said, well, we, we meet a half hour away at our game store every Wednesday. And he's like, oh, no, she's got some teens and they don't drive or whatever. So that's, you know, we're, they're really not interested because they already did know about the store. I was like, oh, okay. So, um, but he's like, well, they were hoping that somebody could start a club at the library to teach kids how to play Warhammer and get, um, apparently they had like four or five high school kids that were interested in it, including this woman's son. So he couldn't give me her information, but I could give him authorization to give her my information. So I, I gave him my email and cell phone number and all that, because I was like, you know what? This is, I say all the time, this is such a dead area for gaming that it would be really nice to support gaming and get younger people into the hobby. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. The mom contacted me. We're trying to figure out some dates and we're going to try to make it like a once a month library club. And he's going to bring some of his friends and I can run demos for them. I'm going to bring all my terrain. I'm going to, well, not all my terrain, but I'm going to bring a tub of terrain. I'm going to bring mats. I'll bring um, everything they need to play. I'll bring extra armies and, and we're going to play at the library once a month. So I have no reason to believe this is not going to happen. Um, the, the woman said her son was super excited about it. I don't know how old he is, but um, he's in high school. So. And um, he's got some high school friends that are interested in it. So I am, I'm not much of a volunteer person, not much of a, I don't know why, I guess, because I'm just so busy. Like when I was a, a high schooler, I used to volunteer at the nursing home. And um, that was pretty, I got a lot of, man, I got a lot of stories about the nursing home. Those old people are crazy. I had an old guy kiss my hand one time because he thought I was a girl. I had long blonde hair at the time. And I mean, I got, I, I'm not lying to you. I got a ton of stories about that if it ever comes up. But the point is, I used to volunteer. I volunteered at the library as a kid and stuff like that. Um, but as an adult, I guess just because I'm so busy with everything, I just don't volunteer. I don't really give back to the community other than, you know, I mean, you could say in a minor way, running my game club, running Shorehammer, getting people together that, you know, even the podcast, getting people together is some sort of service. But it's not really what I mean. And I, I feel like actually donating my time to get a gaming club started with these high schoolers is something that I can actually give back to the community, expose people to something that they, you know, maybe that one kid knows about Warhammer, but he said his friends are interested. So I don't think that means they're in Warhammer yet. And to be fair, I mean, I'm going to introduce them into Warhammer. They can pick Age of Sigmar, 40K, whatever. But if it ends up changing into some other game, like if for some reason they got into bolt action or something like that, then I guess I got to get into bolt action. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't foresee them getting out of Warhammer because if one of them's interested and I'm interested, then more people get interested. But I'm just saying that I'm not trying to pigeonhole them into Warhammer. But it's pretty cool that um, kids could, you know, be exposed to something like that and uh, find out about our hobby and about the painting and the hobby portion and making terrain and all that stuff. So I'm actually, I am unexpectedly very excited to run this club and excited to meet these kids and all that. So. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, I got to say afterwards, this is not my impetus for doing it, but afterwards I was like, man, you know what? If I do start a club with high schoolers about Warhammer, maybe some of my kids will want to get into Warhammer. 
<laughs> which is such like a sad a sad thought because obviously I'm not making my kids get into Warhammer, but I'm thinking, hmm, if they see other kids play it, then maybe some of my kids will be in it. So we'll see. I don't know, but if they don't, it's fine. I'm not. I haven't even mentioned it to them. I'm just waiting for them to mention it to me. Anyway, that's enough rambling for today. Let's get on with the next segment. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey everybody, it's the Tesseract Mailbox, and this week we have another letter from another Patreon patron, Kojo! And Kojo is the one that I went and saw last weekend, and we had the uh, crazy Elvis fiasco and all that. If you missed that, please go go check the intro of last episode, because that was a wild ride involving fingering Elvis and a bunch of just... You're going to think I'm lying about this? You are. I am not lying. You need to go check it out. So... <laughs> Anyway, ironically, Kojo wrote in the next morning and or maybe it was that I don't know when it was. It was it was like the next day. And he said something that's very similar to what uh, Fergie said. So let's see what he says. This past Sunday morning, I walked into a small local diner and shared breakfast with a Pimpcron. I'm pretty sure this is the same Pimpcron I spent the entire day playing Warhammer 40k with the day before. The question I have, though, is this the Pimpcron or like I said, just a Pimpcron? As a father of two with a wife and a full-time job, active golfer and hobbyist, I am 99.9% to 101.7% sure that, indeed, this was just one Pimpcron from an entire menagerie of Pimpcrons that THE Pimpcron created in order to achieve all his personal daily aspirations. But which one of these is THE Pimpcron? Let's first list those that our gang of private detectives have successfully identified. P-Alpha, this is a husband Pimpcron, the one that manages to keep his wife happy and sometimes does the dishes. P-Beta, this is father Pimpcron, some of my agents report there may actually be four sub-variants of this Pimpcron, as there have been reports of father-child trips to different destinations with different children at the same time. P-Gamma, this is a provider Pimpcron that runs his own successful company. In the summer, we are pretty sure this one has power to subdivide as well. P-Delta, Gamer Pimpcron. This one manages to spend entire weekends gaming our favorite love-to-hate game, and most evenings, it seems, as well. P-Epsilon, the Pimpcron we hear every Monday podcast Pimpcron. Anyone who knows anything about producing a podcast know it takes all week to produce an hour of podcast, especially one as crappy as this one. P-Zeta, Game Designer Pimpcron. Not only does he design, write, produce, and produce multiple brutally efficient games, but he manages to playtest them as well. Oh, don't forget endless editing. He, Ada, writer Pimpcron. The Cron writes? I mean, it took me months just to spew out this discourse. P Theta, Shorehammer Pimpcron, a massively entertaining and successful operation such as Shorehammer, takes the full measure of a man year long to pull off. I actually caught P Theta using other Pimpcrons as helpers this year. I was in the elevator lobby with one Pimpcron when one Pimpcron got on an elevator and seconds later another got off a different elevator. We are close to catching you, Pimpcron. But wait, which is THE Pimpcron? There are many opinions on this subject amongst our group, however mine is of mine is of that which theorizes THE Pimpcron is actually a tomb lord encased in his stasis tomb deep beneath Salisbury, Maryland. From there, he feeds off the local bioenergy, allowing him to empower and enable his Pimpcrons. As we can plainly see, it was most likely P-Delta I encountered. I just wonder why THE Pimpcron sent him my way with such a lame list of Necrons to... Ah! What was that sound? No! No! Not you! And I think he died. So, <laughs> I think usually when people are writing a message and they die, they just hold the A key, and it goes, ah! And then they're, they're murdered, so... Kojo probably won't be coming to Shorehammer this year. 
But thank you very much for the nice comments, Kojo. Um, I mean, I'm not going to get into all that again, because you wrote this letter before the last episode came out, so I'm not going to retread all that water of my time management and all that. But um, of course, I waste some time. I mean, sure. Sometimes I, I uh, you know, stand in the yard and look at birds or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what I do. But see, guys, everybody else that writes in, they need to take notes from Kojo and from Fergie. You need to flatter me. You need to wine and dine me. You need to tell me how great I am. That That is what you need to do. The Tesseract mailbox has always subtly irritated me because it so seldomly flatters me. And that was the whole purpose of the Tesseract mailbox is to, hey, let's write in letters that flatter Pimkron. And I think you guys have kind of lost your way, if I'm being honest. I feel like you've really lost the point of this segment. So I'm glad they're bringing the um, original meaning behind. It's like keeping Christ in Christmas. You know, you got to keep flattery in the Tesseract mailbox because that's what's traditional. And it's just, honestly, it's just the right thing to do. So thank you, Kojo. I appreciate it. It was great hanging out with you. And Kojo's brisket, uh, he, he, he smoked it for like 10 hours or something like that. And it was fantastic. So just want to bring that up again. Anyway, I will see you on the next side of this music, and you can reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com, facebook.com slash pimpcron, or Instagram at pimpcron with only one P. Want that or want that not? On this want that or want that not, I'm sure a lot of you guys are excited for the new World Eaters book. And I figured I would just cover the new Angron model. So I really shouldn't say it's a new Angron model. They've never had an Angron model to my knowledge. So maybe uh, maybe it's just the first Angron model. Anyway, it's $160, as you'd expect the Primarch to be. It's the same price as Mortarion. I think it's the same price as Magnus. So what do I think about this model? Well, looking at him, he is a big demon. So thank you for listening to the Want That or Want That Not segment. Let's get on to the next. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. So I'm sure you've seen the Angron model. He's a big-ass demon prince. I mean, he's pretty cool looking. He basically looks like a bloodthirster, except he's not up in the air. And he's got wings. And he's red. He's got dreadlocks. He's got a bunch of armor on. He's got a sword. He's got a chain axe. He's got a tail. I mean, hooved feet. He, he's... I hate to say it, but there's really nothing that interesting about him other than that he's a named character and his name is Angron. So I get that. I'm sure he will be an absolute beat stick on the tabletop, but that's not really what this segment's about. Does he look cool? Sure. He looks cool in the way that every demon prince looks cool. He looks cool in the way that chaos space marines look cool. He looks cool in the way that any chaos or demon-oriented Etsy 3D printed model looks cool. He looks fine. I don't really see anything... Like, Magnus has a distinct look, okay? He's got kind of the angel appearance, right? He's got a cool stance. He's a big dude. He's standing there. He's got the nipple horns. I mean, he has a very distinctive look to him. Mortarion has a very distinctive look to him with his, like, fly-type wings, and he's gigantic, and he's actually flying, which is crazy because he's so big. And he's got a lot of, like, nurglings and stuff on him. He's got a lot of detail, but he's got a unique look. Magnus and Mortarion have unique looks. This guy, I, I don't really know what else you would do for him, to be honest with you. I'm thinking that maybe you would ratchet up the gore, which I'm not sure Games Workshop as a modern company really wants to do right now. Uh, they've gotten away from the the 
nipples on Slanesh, etc., etc. So I don't think they're going to ratchet up the gore. Sure, he's got some skulls and stuff on his base, but it's really nothing that's that's crazy gory. He looks surprisingly clean, to be honest with you. He's wearing way more armor than I would expect. I know that demons wear armor. I know that, like, um, the bloodthirsters have armor. I know that the, um, what are they called? The blood crushers or whatever are, like, mechanical horses, and they've got armor. I, I do get that. And I know that it has been a tradition for Korn to have a three-up save or whatever, and that's just, like, the only demon that gets an armor save. I totally get all that. But... He's not really that interesting to me. I just don't really see why, uh, minus, you know, his name, I don't really see why I would buy him. He just does not look interesting. I'm sure he's a beat stick. That's actually why you're going to buy him. But $160, I've seen way cooler looking models for less money. Now, I know he's gigantic. Don't get me wrong. I know he's gigantic. But honestly, I think the Bloodthirsters look cooler than Angron. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just being finicky. But basically, color me unimpressed. He looks totally fine. It's not a bad model by any stretch of the imagination, but 160 bucks for me on the cool factor alone is a big ask for purchasing him. So that's it. It really is a want that not for me. And I'm not going to play World Eaters anyway, but even if I did, I probably... Well, okay, here's the problem. I don't play World Eaters, and I also don't play named characters. I don't own the Silent King. I don't have Gilliman. I don't have Abaddon. I don't have any of those people. I don't have um, uh, Gazskull. I don't. I just don't play named characters, and I especially don't play Lords of War. So really, this has nothing for me. But if I did play all that, I guess I'd get him. I guess I'm super lukewarm on him, is what I'm trying to say. So I guess that's a want that not for me. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hey everybody, it's Real Talk with the Pentcron. I'm sure you've heard of the debacle that is the Rogel Dorn battle tank for Astra Militarum. It ain't got no pants on. There's no, no plate at the bottom of it. You can see its balls is what I'm trying to say. The Rogel Dorn has its balls exposed. Now, if it had a special rule for that, like no bottom plate, and if a model manages to get under the Rogel Dorn, it's got an armor save of 7-up. I mean, I could get that, right? But this seems like such a weird scenario the whole way around. And I think everybody's overreacting or maybe under underreacting. I'm sure if you've been online at all in the last month, uh, the Rogel Dorn hate, or maybe I should say confusion, possibly outrage has reached you. Where the Rogel Dorn is a cool-looking battle tank, right? Looks really cool. It's got a neat style to it. I like it. I'll probably end up getting one. Yeah, looks really neat. Cool tank. And then you flip it over, and you can see the Rogel Dorn's balls. There's no bottom panel on the kit, which is very odd to me. Now, some people have taken that as a... Some people are claiming online that this is the end of times. Games Workshop's going to go out of business because they forgot the panel on the Rogel Dorn. Other people are like, bruh, it doesn't matter, I'll just 3D print a, a panel on the bottom of it. And then other people are like, you idiot, I'll just use Plasticard. And then other people are like, dude, I don't care, it's the bottom of a tank. Like, it's, it's just missing its panel, whatever. But this is what's so curious to me. You have the GW apologists that think this is just totally fine. Totally fine that they did not include a bottom panel on a tank. And I don't entirely disagree with them. 
But then you have the GW haters that are like, oh, no bottom panel, that's it, I'm done with Warhammer. And I'm like, okay, slow down. Like, I do also somewhat agree with them that this is kind of out of line for Games Workshop's wheelhouse, and I guess I'll have to explain why. Games Workshop, if you look at their miniatures, if you look at their lore, if you look at their novels, if you look at their codexes, Games Workshop has always been a premium company. We certainly pay a premium for our models, and the books look beautiful. They pay for all their own art to be illustrated in these books, and the books are very, very high quality. They're stitched instead of glued. I mean, Games Workshop has always been synonymous with quality. And we're talking about a company that... Okay, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you looked inside a Land Raider? Have you ever looked inside a Land Raider? I'm willing to bet a lot of players, if you don't own a Land Raider and you never built one, you've never looked inside a Land Raider. If you're just a Tyranid player, some random Tau player, whatever, you've never looked inside. You've never opened up the little hatch in the front, the, the boarding plank thing, opened it up, shined a flashlight in there, because the only way you're going to see it outside of building the Land Raider is that if you shine a light in the gaping maw of the Land Raider and... They've completely made the the area inside the Land Raider. What for? I don't know. But they did, because no one's ever going to see it, right? I used to have a friend that actually did paint the entire interior of the Land Raider. And I'm like, number one, I'm shocked that they even went to that trouble of making the interior of the Land Raider with all of the little seats that certainly the Space Marines could not fit on. And there was like bench seating and there's um, computers and terminals and stuff like that in there. But no one's ever going to see that. Never, never going to see that. But they did it anyway. And the reason why is they were a model company, a miniature company. And whether or not you enjoyed their prices or not, you always knew that what you were buying from Games Workshop was quality. You were definitely getting the highest quality. You were also paying a premium for it. But it's okay because it was the highest quality. Okay, so they have fallen from actually detailing and sculpting and including the sprues for the entire inside cockpit of the Land Raider for you to absolutely not fit your models in, but they did it anyway. They've gone from that to essentially selling you a brand new tank that is a very high expensive price and is not technically complete. Now, that is very odd to me. Now, some people are claiming that it's a cost-cutting measure to save on plastic, which I could somewhat see, but the amount of plastic that you waste on the sprue is like 20 times more than what that plate would have been. So I don't entirely buy that. And no, I'm not angry about this. I'm just a little puzzled by it. I'm puzzled by everyone's reaction to it, and I'm also puzzled by GW's decision to do this. Does it have any effect on the game whatsoever if it does not have a bottom panel. No, of course not. There's no effect whatsoever. If you're just looking at the Rogaldorn, it looks like a cool tank, blah, blah, blah. But if I'm paying $90 USD for this tank, I feel like it should at least be complete. Do you know who does not complete the bottoms of their tanks? Well, number one, I've never known a miniature company that does not complete the bottoms of their tanks. But do you know a miniature company that does? The Dollar General or the Dollar Store tanks that you buy with army men. If you flip any of those over, they do not have bottoms to their tanks. Doesn't that just kind of strike you as odd? 
Don't you think that it's weird that this premium, the, the world's largest premium miniature tank company does not include the bottom panel to their tank? It just seems in extremely, extremely odd to me. As if it's a dollar store tank, you just flip over and you can see its innards. So I'm not in the camp of people that are super mad about it. I'm not in the camp of people that are like, oh, this is totally fine. You know, it should have always been this way. Shut up. GW's God. I'm not like that either. I'm just really curious about it. And one thing that I have not heard a single person mention, and maybe this is the reason why the Ruggledorn panel was not included in the set, is that they were having a hard time fitting that panel on the sprue. Now, that sounds really dumb, doesn't it? That's like, oh, the Pimpcron, what are you talking about? You crazy dog. But no, if you think about it for a second, they have to fit all these bits on a sprue. And the sprue has to fit in the box. So my guess is that they reached some sort of awkward point in the production of this tank where they're like, okay, we either have to include a completely separate sprue for the bottom panel of this tank, which of course costs money to cast a completely separate sprue, right? So that's a completely, that's handling. You've got to put it in the box. Someone could mess up and not put it in the box and you get customer service issues, et cetera, et cetera. They either can fill the entire sprue with a the the correct size sprue or two sprues, whatever's in the box. But they're going to have this leftover bottom panel that just does not fit on the sprue. So then they're going to have to cast a completely separate bottom panel sprue and then break that apart and give each person, make sure each person gets one panel versus no panels or two panels or whatever, which is another point of failure in production where they could mess it up. Or they have to change the size of their sprues and give you like four smaller sprues instead of two big ones or something like that. And my guess is it probably just threw off the whole production of it. And they're like, well, honestly, do you think anyone's going to care? I guarantee you, I would bet $100 this exact conversation happened at Games Workshop. The designer's like, hey, listen, boss, uh, I'm having a really hard time fitting all these bits in here. I can fit everything on these two large spurs or whatever, but I just don't have room for the bottom panel. And the boss is like, well, I mean, can't we, you know, do this extra sprue or whatever? And the guy's like, well, no, it costs a lot of extra money just to do a bottom sprue. And that seems so silly, you know? Okay, so what, what's our alternative? Well, just what if we just don't include it? And the boss goes, what? We can't just not include the bottom of a tank. And then the designer or whoever just says, well, I mean, is anyone even going to care? It's the bottom of a tank. In no way in this game do you ever use the bottom of a tank. So... I don't really see that it's a big deal. Include one third of the front and one third of the bottom reaching under the tank and the tank just has an open spot. And then the boss is like, well, instead of costing us way more money or introducing and introducing another point of failure in production, why don't we just, okay, let's, let's remove the bottom um, panel. And I don't think anyone's going to have a real hissy fit over it. Certainly. I mean, come on, no one's going to be so mad that they denounce GW and say they hate us and that we're a terrible company. I mean, no way, no way is someone going to say that, Oh, we're on our way out where our quality has failed, whatever. And they both laughed and like, that would be absurd, wouldn't it? And then they just decided to do it. And that seems the most reasonable explanation to me because saving plastic really does not ring true to me. Do you know how thin that bottom panel would be? 
like super super thin. Like the amount of plastic that they waste in the sprue, like I said, is way more than whatever that bottom panel would be. Think about it when you're designing a sprue. Your sprue is X amount big, right? Uh, that sounds like a weird phrasing. It's it's like it's just so large. So you have to make sure everything fits. And remember, you have to worry about the casting process too, all the vent lines and all that. Um, so I'm thinking to myself, they had a hard time fitting on the sprue and that's what happened. And it would cost them a lot more, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's probably the most reasonable explanation. I don't think Games Workshop's going to go out of business because it's Rogel Dorn tank. I don't think that they're the they should do all tanks that way. Yeah, all tanks. They should have always been that way. I understand. You know, I, I light up my tanks anyway, so it's really easy. It's really great to put a battery in the bottom of it and light up my tank because, you know, they're really clever, man. They're next level. Uh, This was not any sort of snafu or lower in quality. It's because Games Workshop's the best company in the world and ordained by God. And like you hear both of those sides and I'm like, guys, just calm down. I do find it incredibly curious why it was left out. And personally, I can tell you when I'm trying to make a product and oh no, here he is talking about brutality again. Okay. Okay. When me or anybody else, let me broaden it to anybody else that has a true passion for what they do. Okay. A true passion for what they do would never exclude a bottom panel on a tank. If every other tank you own has a bottom panel. They would never do that. I could never. Do you know how many times I could cut corners when I'm making brutality or whatever? And I could cut corners and go, well, okay, well, I'll do it this way instead because that's easier or that's whatever. And I go, no, I can't do that because it, somebody could perceive that as lower quality. And I'm trying my very best to have very, very high quality product. And Games Workshop used to be that way. I just find it incredibly odd that they left out the bottom panel because technically the model is not complete and God knows $90 for a tank is not cheap. So you really should be giving the utmost quality and in this case they're not. So, uh, like I said, it's not the end of the world. I find it incredibly curious and I'm curious if all future tanks are going to be missing their bottom panel. I'm curious about that. Or, or is it just this one? And if no future tanks are missing their bottom panel, you know that's exactly what happened, is what I said. They couldn't fit it on the sprue. It would be a huge hassle and extra cost just to include th the bottom panel, and no one thought we'd give a crap. And that's basically what it is. So, we'll see. I can't wait till the next tank comes out. And if it does not have a bottom panel, that's just what they're doing from now on. If it does have a bottom panel, that's the situation with the Rogel Dorn tank. Very interested to find out. Anyway, thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for listening to me ramble about the balls of a tank and how they're exposed and they're frigid in the cold. I'm sure the Valhallans will have some sort of cloth or something to put under there because the Rogaldorn is not going to be able to operate with his testes frozen dragging the ground like that. Um, they're going to make like a diaper for him or something to keep them warm. But anyway, <laughs> thank you to GameHat.eu for supporting the show and Panhandle3D.com for supporting the show. And of course, my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons, including Kojo and Mitch, the new guy. I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>